0: You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. Much like finding Obi-Wan on Tatooine or an older version of Luke Skywalker on Archtoe, we find Moses, the rescued from the reeds Old Testament figure that points to our New Testament deliverer about as far from rescuing God's people as one could be. He's shepherding his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of a wilderness mountain. Yes, it's not just any mountain. It's one dubbed the mountain of God. Still, when I envision the mountain of God, I think of something like Matterhorn, Denali, Mount Fuji, maybe, Mount Horeb? Go ahead and Google it for a second. Give you permission to pull out your phones. It's H-O-R-E-B, Mount Horeb. Don't choose the one in Wisconsin. It's the one in Israel. That's Theology 131. Moses did not spend time in Wisconsin. And for you non-cheeseheads, Wisconsin is not the wilderness. There's beautiful things in Wisconsin. There are the Dells, Lakeshore, even Lambeau Field. So click Israel and Mount Horeb, see what comes up there. Click on those images. Yeah, that, that's it, right? Not much there. Not much to be seen. Not what you might consider the mountain of God. Okay, now finish that text message you were sending instead of looking up Mount Horeb and uh, put your phone away. Thank you. You might see why Moses was unsuspecting as he's walking on Mount Horeb with his sheep not expecting the angel of the Lord, not expecting a burning bush, definitely not expecting God's voice to speak. How often are we like that? Just minding his business. Maybe Moses figured the meeting place of God would be someplace with more of an Eden vibe to it. I think we think that a lot. Also, we need to remember in many ways, Moses may have moved on from this idea and this calling that he felt he had in his prior life This idea that the Israelites needed to be saved and maybe he was going to play a part in it. Yes, he was a miracle child mirroring the Christ child. His life prophetically points to one saved from the ordered slaughter of Israelite babies when he was hidden in the reeds of the Nile River. He was then found and raised by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. It really had reality show potential written all over it. But then as Exodus explains, he decides to undertake delivering a nation by himself, kills an Egyptian, flees, and now 40 years, let that sink in, 40 years later, here he is, married, taking care of sheep in the wilderness, probably whispers around town that maybe he was raised in Pharaoh's house, could have been the only thing tying him to that land he grew up in. 360 miles, roughly 18-day walk away from where he had been and where he grew up. I always try to encourage people to find parallels to their story in these wonderful stories that God has given us. Whether you were a child prodigy who never seemed to reach your potential, someone that had a vision for greatness, yet somehow, now you're somehow stuck in the menial of the day-to-day, or you're the oppressed, that thought God would have surely rescued you by now. Or, where I know we all fit in, one enslaved to sin that cannot rescue yourself. Any way you look at it, your story is in here. So we have millions of God's people under the yoke of oppression, crying out as they have for 400 years. We have this has-been-redeemer in the middle of nowhere. But lest we forget, we have the most significant piece of all. We have God right there on Mount Horod. Something I learned about God a while back through the Bible and in my own life, God loves the wilderness. He loves it. As he takes us from the mess where we were to the wonderful promised eternal beauty, you would think that he would love and gradually get us to places like the plush landscapes of Hawaii, right? That's where I can meet God, in Hawaii, or on the beach, or someplace really beautiful. But instead, God gets us into the deserts, the wastelands, the barren. What most people call God forsaken is actually where God can become most real. The pioneers of the monastic movement figured that out, and Moses had his aha moment long before them. Think about the greatest leaders of the Bible and where they were right before they launched onto the scene. King David, wilderness. Elijah, wilderness. John the Baptist, eating locusts in the wilderness. Even our Savior, our precious Savior, out in the wilderness. See, I think it's actually the lack of life in the wilderness that appeals to God the most. That's where we can see him clearly. That's where we can hear him clearly and follow him humbly when he calls. We find ourselves in the wilderness and we despair. Yet, like a canteen losing its last drop of water, God empties us out there. Now he has a vessel readied for his marvelous ministry. And here is where we see Moses and a burning bush. The sight catches Moses' eye. Now, like Pastor Ben I can get a little caught up in IG Reels, but instead of learning the art of fine print negotiation with retailers, I'm usually looking for big stuff. I like whales and sharks eating things and tidal waves, mountains, cliff dives, anything that's like really big, it appeals to me. I don't know if a Moses Reel of the bush burning but not being consumed would catch my eye or not. I think most of us would chalk it up to Photoshop and just swipe on. Moses cannot move on, and why can't he move on? Mainly because the voice of the one true God speaks to him. What Yahweh speaks is incredible. He tells him he's on holy ground, that's big. He gives him his name, that's big. And yet, what I'm focusing on today, I believe echoes as loudly as anything else. He says, and hear clearly, I have seen my afflicted people, I have heard their cries, I am aware of their taskmasters, and I have come down to deliver them. Let me say that again, in case you didn't catch one of those. God sees you, his afflicted people, he has heard your cry, he knows who's oppressing you, and he himself, the God of this incredible universe, has come down to deliver you. Amen, that's worthy of praise. Moses responds with, here am I. This is not just stating the obvious. Yes, he's there, God knows that. He knew that Moses was there before Moses knew God was there. But in the Hebrew, that statement has a much deeper meaning It's more of a, I'm here wholly before you. I've I've put away the distractions. I've presented myself completely for whatever you need. This is not the same Moses from 40 years ago. This Moses doesn't see himself as up for the task. He admittedly needs lots of help, but what he doesn't understand is that God doesn't need Moses to do much of anything except just to go and ask Pharaoh to set his people free. The Lord God himself would take care of the rest. Remember, God came down to do the delivering work. It remains for me the greatest separator in the realm of faith. Am I required to do the work? To move from where I was to where I will be? Or does God do the work as he asked me to simply go on the journey of faith? Grace alone screams, God saw us, he heard our cry, and he came down in Christ to do that work on our behalf, to give us righteousness that we could never get on our own. He simply asks us to follow. We will next see Moses before Pharaoh and the fireworks will start, with Moses acting as an M80 canister, if you will. God would deliver his people. He will start them on the road to the promised land, using a shepherd called out of the wilderness, just as God delivered us after calling his son out of the 40-day wilderness test. And he will take his people through the wilderness. He is a God who sees. He is a God who hears. He is a God who delivers. But for my situation right here, you might ask, right now, God, when will you deliver? I don't have that answer. Are you in year 300? Not yet year 400? When will I walk in my calling? I, I don't know. Is your deliverer supposed to be in the wilderness for another decade? Are you supposed to be in the wilderness for another decade? Or two? Or three? Or four? Oh, in today's society, it's not easy to wait. It's not easy to wait. But while we wait, for however long we wait, we must remember that God is on his way. It would be tempting to think that your cries are hitting an empty sky, but what I know, I declare with you today and pray that you would grab onto. That he who is faithful, who declared himself the I am that I am, sees your affliction. Yes, he does see you. He hears your cry and he is moved even to tears. And he is our mighty, powerful, one and only deliverer who will come down again. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel podcast. To learn more about campus ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu chapel.